And so, take your Bibles, if you would, and go to Hebrews chapter 10. And we're really not going to get to the text of the sermon this morning until we get to uh, the conclusion. Um, but I just want to use this verse as kind of an introduction to the topic. We're uh, having a theme this year of the just shall live by his faith. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And uh, we've uh, covered many different aspects of faith. And, and uh, last week we spent our time talking about understanding the things that will keep us on the trail, that will keep us uh, running the race with patience. And uh, as I was contemplating on what to preach on, this morning I was reminded of a story of a man that came up and he wanted to talk to his pastor. And, and uh, he, he began to uh, speak to him and he said, Now, Pastor, I've been a member of this church for many, many years. And he said, I've heard you preach on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and this church had their midweek on Wednesday night all of these years. And he said, I was thinking about this, and he said, as I sat there and began to contemplate all the sermons that I've heard, he said, you know, I don't think I could remember one whole sermon from all the years that I've been in this church that you preached. And he went on to say, he said, I, I don't know that you're that good of a preacher, and I don't know, I think maybe I should look for another church. And he just went on and on and on venting his frustration about not being able to remember uh, that message. And uh, when he was done, uh, the preacher just looked at him and said, could I just offer you something to think about? He said, you know, he said, I've been married to my wife for nearly 50 years. And she has prepared meals for me all of those years and snacks and all kinds of food. And he said, you know, if I sat down and tried to remember specific meals, he said, he said, in 50 years, I, I doubt I could come up with a dozen meals. And, and he was a good-sized preacher, and he said, but there's obvious evidence that it worked. And he said, maybe you ought to stop and, and think about the fact that even though you don't remember specific sermons that maybe the preaching of the Word has built some faith in some things in your life that have lasted. Maybe you're not in as bad a shape as you uh, might think that you are. Because when we come to this thing called faith, our, our first thing we think about is crisis, is it not? It's the big events. Uh, it, it, and we'll talk a little bit about David, but when you say, David, what do you think about? Goliath. I mean, that was a crisis. Nine foot six. Uh, I mean, you do the math. Uh, a six foot man weighs 220 pounds. What would a nine foot six man weigh? Probably about 600 pounds. Something in that neighborhood. Uh, you're not going to pick him up and body slam him. I'm sorry. Uh, I don't care how many times you see it happen on TV. It's all fake. It's not real. Uh, I hope you know that. If I popped your bubble today, uh, 
Uh, I'm glad about that. Uh, you need to get out of fantasy land. Amen? Uh, but we think about the crises. We think about the great times. We think about the times when incredible things had to happen, when we had our backs up against the wall and only God could intervene, and He did. But this morning, I'd like to preach about faith in the quiet times. You see, there's a lot of living that has to happen between the mountaintops. There's, there's a lot of things that has to happen in our lives that just aren't extraordinary. In fact, they're so ordinary, we often discount them as not being faithful at all. You know, one of the things that I love about my sending church, the Cleveland Baptist Church, Cleveland, Ohio, and I'm looking forward in September, uh, we're going back there for a Global Independent Baptist Fellowship meeting, and, and I'm looking forward to that. I'll even be preaching. Uh, and uh, I think that'll be, I taught Sunday school one time, but I think that'll be the first time I've ever preached from the pulpit at Cleveland Baptist. I'm a little nervous. Uh, pray for me. Uh, but uh, I'm looking forward to that time of being there. But one of the things I love about walking in the doors is I know I'm going to be greeted by people. We're staying with Brother and Mrs. Jim Jones. No relation to the Guyana guy. Uh, uh, Brother Jones is just a lovely man of God. He's got children that are actually older than uh, my wife and I. And, and we've known the Joneses ever since... Uh, my wife is a little girl traveling with her dad, and uh, some of the first people I met at Cleveland Baptist Church. Uh, that was 1986, nearly 30 years ago. They're still there. And they're still doing exactly the same thing they were doing 30 years ago. And they're not unusual. Uh, in fact, one of the sad parts is there's going to be some gaps in that auditorium where some of the older members have passed away, and Brother Jones sends out some newsletters, and every once in a while I hear, oh man, I wish I could have been there for that funeral, because they meant so much to me. But you know what? They were just faithful. They just kept showing up Sunday morning. Nothing extraordinary. In fact, it was so ordinary there that you didn't even really pay attention. I mean, average attendance on Sunday morning, I think, is well over a thousand still. A lot of people. But a lot of those people have been there a lot of years. Just quiet, daily And if you're going to serve God by faith, you've got to do it on a daily basis. Even when something fantastic is not happening. I mean, I've often thought, I would, I would like to find out what it is to just have a boring life for a little while. Uh, but, I mean, we've got so much happening right now. And, uh, 
But there, there have been some times where it's actually been just a little bit quiet. And you know why people fail in the crisis? It's because they weren't faithful in the quiet times. I want to challenge you today. You need Jesus just as much when nothing is happening as you do during the crisis. In fact, if you don't learn to depend on him now, you won't depend on him in the crisis. Every couple that I ever have a chance to influence in any way, uh, especially younger couples, I, I try to get them started with this. I say, when, when, when a young couple gets married, let, let me tell you who is most able to handle the decision-making and, and the future-setting process, husband or wife? How many of you believe the husband is when they're first married? I don't see a hand going up. Got a smart auditorium here, amen. You know, most guys are nothing but big boys. We need to grow up a while. It takes a guy into his 40s and 50s before everything is all straightened out in direction. <clears throat> but but a woman's not that way because when she gets married, even even as a young woman, she's thinking about Little fellows that come along. And that nesting thing and trying to take care of those children. And, and so they're much more seriously oriented. But I warned the ladies. I said, even though you're more able and you, you have a greater decision-making process than your husband does, if you don't start learning to lean now, there's going to come a time, and I'm not joking here, not, not playing any games here, but there comes a time in a woman's life where everything changes. And if you haven't learned to lean on your husband now, that's why we have divorce and things happening 30 and 40 years into marriages. is because the proper foundation wasn't set up. And that, it's just an illustration of how faith works. You see, it's easy to trust God for your salvation. You know why? Because most of us hope that death's door is a long way off. I even remember talking with Brother Horton, and uh, the cancer had come back, and, and uh, he, he would die in just uh, less than a year. He's saying, I'm praying God gives me another five years. The doctor says I have a pretty good choice. I'd like to make 80 and just keep serving the Lord. I don't know if I'll do it or not, he would say, but I, I'm just going to keep going. And he did keep going right up until the time he died. But he didn't make 80. You see, none of us expect to meet God today. And so it's kind of easy to have faith concerning our salvation. But let me ask you a question. How many of you would like to enjoy that day when you meet God for the very first time face to face? Isn't that that an incredible thought? 
I don't want to be one of those guys like talked about in the book of Jude where they pull them out of the fire having even their garments spotted by the world. I don't want to be that guy. I like Second Peter where it says, Therefore shall an entrance be ministered unto you abundantly, <clears throat> excuse me, abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Father, of God. How do we get there? Well, I'm going to challenge you. You're going to have some times of great testing. But there's going to be a whole lot more time in your life where it seems like nothing is happening. And I want to challenge you. Something is. God is either building faith, He's either drawing you closer to Him, or you're allowing yourself to drift further away. You're missing opportunities of service that God has for you. And and I just want to read one verse as we jump into our passage this morning. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36. It says, For ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he shall come, he that shall come will come, and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Now that's the introduction to the faith chapter. Hebrews chapter 11, some call it God's hall of faith. God does not have a hall of fame because the only person that's famous in God's hall of fame is God. Uh, there are no other people there. God is not, the only reason God puts human lives on display is so people will think and understand better about God. Could we say amen to that? This is the difference between true faith and false faith. True faith only points toward God. False faith always points toward somebody or something. Our faith is an object of faith. The object of our faith is the very being of God Himself. He has manifested Himself, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He has given us the living Word, which is Jesus Christ, and the written Word, which is your Bible. If you want to know about God, this is the only place you can find out about Him. Oh yes, you can look up into the sky at night and you can know there's a God. But you can't know His name. You can't know He loved you. You can't know that He sent His only Son, Jesus, to die on the cross to pay the price for your sins unless you read it in the Bible. And so as we kind of dive into God's Word today, you need to understand something. You have need of patience. How do you get patience, by the way? Another sermon. James chapter 1. Patience comes by what? Tribulation. Now don't go signing up for tribulation. God knows when to bring it and how much to give you. Don't ask for any extra. He may answer that prayer. And you'll be the one that's sorry for it. 
You have to learn how to trust God and let Him be in control. That's, that's what this message is all about. You have need of patience after that ye have done the will of God. Oh, I mean, we live in an age where instant gratification is not fast enough. Isn't that true? How many of you like waiting on things? My wife was mad at me. We were getting on the airplane and the lady there at the check counter as we were going down the gangplank saying, we, uh, we want to check all roller bars. There's no room on the plane for them. Put the tags on them. And I'm sitting here going, oh, no, they're going to lose my suitcase. We're only going to be there for two and a half days. And so we're rolling down, and there's a store to stand on the airplane. I said, is it really as full as she said? And she looks and says, take off the tags and put them in. I said, thank you so much. My, we walked by, my wife said, you made his day. I hate waiting, it's just like everybody else does. Especially on something that's never going to come. I mean, I really hate, I hate that. But, listen... Sometimes we just have to learn to sit still. Isn't that hard? Do you know that if you're really honest about it, it probably takes more faith to learn to sit still and be quiet than it does to do something? And yet, if you don't have that time of sitting still and serving God when no one is looking and nothing is happening, you will not be ready when the crisis comes. You will fail when the pressure is turned up. It, <clears throat> excuse me, it's the quiet time. It's the time when nothing seems to be happening. That God is actually doing the greatest work of building faith. It's just like the little child growing. I don't know if you've ever had the privilege of feeding teenage boys or not. But there's, there's something that happens. I mean, those of you that brought food, we want to say thank you for the college kids that were here for the inner city missions class. It was parched earth, wasn't it? I mean, they went through that line and I mean, there was so much food there. I thought, wow, we're going to have leftovers everywhere. Well, there was a bowl of rice and a few other things, but I mean, pretty much it was all gone. And every once in a while, you know, we got a lot of thank yous and stuff, but I'm sure those guys forgot all about that. They're looking for the next conquest, the next meal. They were still hungry the next morning when we had breakfast. I mean, that's the one thing it just never seems to stop. That's a good thing. It does the heart good to watch people just eat and enjoy food and to have it there to enjoy. It's not that way in most of the world. We thank God for His blessings that we have here. But I want to challenge you that we need to walk with the Lord 
each and every day. Let's take a look at the life of Abraham, if you would. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. And we come here to verse 1. It says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make thee a great nation and I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So Abraham departed as the Lord said, as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abraham was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, Sorry, pages are sticking together here. And all their substance that they had gathered and the souls they had gotten in Haran, and they went forth to go into the land of Canaan, and into the land of Canaan they came. So there is Abraham. He was called of God. God said, I want you to get away from your family, your kindred. I want you to go to a land that I have spoken of, and I'm going to show you. By the way, can I just ask a question? Who lives in that land today? It's the descendants of Abraham. The land of Israel, the land of Canaan, is the land of Israel. Uh, people like to call it the land of Palestine. Uh, Palestine. And they want to talk that it belongs to the Palestinians. I, I want to show you, before there was any Palestinians, there was Abraham. And God said, this is 2,200 years before Jesus was born, by the way. And I want to challenge you. There is no parallel to this in all of history. We are 2,016 years removed from 0 B.C., of which is not a year. You have 1 B.C., 1 A.D., Abraham lived 2,200 years before that. We have yet to go as far on this side of zero year as Abraham was on that side of zero year. And yet, the descendants of Abraham are living in that land today. People want to argue whether the Bible's true or not. If that's not enough for you, I don't know what could be. The only reason you don't believe that is because you don't want to. No other people group that we can trace has a history like Israel. How many times were they removed from their land? Nebuchadnezzar, 600 B.C. The Roman armies, 70 A.D. Israel becomes a nation in 1948. 
Hey, let me tell you something. God's not playing around when he makes a promise. And by the way, in the millennial kingdom, when Jesus rules and reigns for a thousand years, it's going to be from the city of David. Jerusalem. So they've got a long history yet in front of them. Don't use your Bible to curse the Jews. You can't do it. It's not in the Bible. See, but they're they're mean people. Uh, Last time I checked, all people were kind of mean. You know anybody that's not? And don't raise your hand and say me. Because there's no nice person when you get up first thing in the morning. Unless you're cranky before you go to bed. I mean, it's just one of those things. Let's, let's be real today. Abraham was 75 years old when he first entered into the land of Canaan. Most of us would say that's over the hill. But he had another hundred years to live. How many years would it be before Isaac shows up? Another 25 years. Abraham would be 100 years old. Sarah would be 90 when Isaac was born. That's why his name is what it is. God shall laugh. He that both Abraham and and Sarah laughed and said, How are you going to give us children at this advanced age? And God said, He who laughs, laughs. Last, laughs best. And God's, and Isaac means he shall laugh. Uh, God had the best joke at all because it was Sarah at 90 years old that started getting morning sickness for the first time. I, I wouldn't want to think about that. They must have been made of sterner stuff than we are today. But you know what the writer of the book of Hebrews says? That Sarah, through faith, received strength. But you know, she had to get to 90 years old before God could use her. That's a long time, isn't it? You know, Abraham was in the land from 75 years old to 175 when he died. How many of you know how much of the land of Israel that Abraham actually possessed? When he died. Let's go to Genesis chapter 23. Verse 1. And Sarah was an hundred and twenty and seven years old. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died... In Kerjath Arba, the same as Hebron, in the land of Canaan, and Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham stood up before his dead and spake unto the sons of Heth, saying, I am a stranger and a sojourner with you. Give me a possession of a burying place with you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. And we get down to verse 16, and Abraham hearkened unto Ephron. And Abraham, Abraham weighed to Ephron the silver which he had named in the audience of the sons of Heth, four hundred shekels of silver, current money with the merchant, 
And the field of Ephron, which is in Machpelah, which is before Mamer, the field and the cave, which was therein, and all the trees that were in the field, that were in all the borders round about, were made sure unto Abraham for a possession in the presence of the children of Heth, before all that went in at the gate of his city. So here's what Abraham owned. Abraham's now 137 years old, roughly 10 years older than Sarah. And he owns a cemetery plot, a cave. Do you know, we know where that cave is today. It's still there. And in that cave is the body of Abraham, the remains of Abraham and Sarah, Isaac, Rebecca, Leah, and Jacob in an Egyptian sarcophagus. Because if you remember, Jacob died in the land of Egypt and was buried there. It's considered one of the most holy sites of all the religions in the area. The grave of Abraham. And all that Abraham owned was a place to be buried in when he died. You know what? Abraham passed some incredible tests. When God called him to leave Ur of the Chaldees and travel to Haran, he did. And when God said, I want you to go into the land of Canaan at 75 years old, he did. He went into the land of Egypt during a famine and God said, I don't want you to go back there again. I want you to stay in the land that I've called you. And he did. And Lot chose the land of the plain of Jordan, which was not part of the land of Canaan. Abraham stayed in the land. He died in the land. He was buried in the land. Abraham did not receive any of the promises he had to pay. And by the way, 400 shekels of silver in our modern day currency would be like buying a house in New York City. Uh, it would be in the millions of dollars. It, it, would, it was an enormous price. But if you had to sell your heritage, uh, your family lands and your title to someone else, You wouldn't sell it cheap, would you? And so Abraham paid the price and he bought that cave and we know where it is today. But I want to challenge you that Abraham passed the test that God had for him. But there was an awful lot of quiet time where it was just getting up in the morning and going through the events of the day. To serve God. And Abraham was faithful. In fact, he was so faithful in the quiet times that God said he is the father of all those that have faith in Jesus Christ. He is our example. It's amazing that the Jewish world, as they well should, descendants of Isaac through Abraham, claim Abraham as their father. You know, the Islamic world claims Abraham as their father through the descendants of Ishmael. And we as Christians today claim Abraham as our father by 
faith. Because he is the testimony of faith in Jesus Christ. And Abraham did some incredible things. When he was tried to offer up Isaac in Genesis chapter 22, and we talked about that, and he passed the test of finding a wife for his son Isaac in Genesis 24. But most of Abraham's 175 years are just silent. He was just day in and day out faithful to God. Can we say amen to that? We'll take just a few minutes here. Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 16. Most of you know the story here. Saul had disobeyed God. He'd only been king two years. How long was Saul going to reign? He was going to reign 40 years. So 38 of the 40 years that Saul was king of Israel, the first king of Israel, he did so without the influence and without the direct guidance of God in his life. Uh, That's a pretty sad testimony. But then it was Samuel that said, God's given you a king that's after your heart. But here in chapter 16... Verse 1, it says, And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil, and go, and I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. And we get down to verse 7, and Samuel's there at the house of Jesse. He says, But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance, or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Listen, people have taken this verse, said, now don't you judge me, God looks on the heart. Well, you you missed the entire verse. The outside looked really good. That's why God had to tell Samuel, you can't judge by the outside. So don't you come to me and say, the outside may look really bad, but I'm good on the inside. It doesn't work that way, my friend. If God's living on the inside, he's going to straighten up the outside. Can we say amen to that? I mean, let's be honest with our Bible, amen? How old was David here? We don't really know. Most, most people figure he was about 16 years old. 16 years old. Anointed king of Israel. How many years would it be before he faced Goliath? Probably just a couple of months, maybe a year. He was still a kid. When he faced Goliath. How many of you remember what happened to Goliath? Kind of lost his head in that whole encounter. Good for David. Kind of rough on Goliath. But God did a miracle. That was a time of great testing, was it not? And all of a sudden, David was promoted. Within just months, he was married to one of Saul's daughters. Now, you've got to remember, he was... A teenager at this point. 
You know, there's a reason why in America teenagers usually don't get married. They're not ready. But when the king says get married, you, you get married. And David did. And, and David was the, was the leader of the armies. He was the chief general of Israel just under Abner. And, and then when Saul began to see that the people adored David more than they did him, the jealousy came in. And he demoted David to a captain of a thousand, then he demoted him to a company of a hundred, and then he demoted him and, and, and actually chased him throughout the land trying to kill him. It would be years before David would be crowned king in Hebron, only of Judah, and then another seven years before he would be king of all of Israel. Let me tell you, there's a lot of quiet time in David's life. There was a lot of time where the greatest miracle in David's life was waking up the next morning and not having Saul's sword at his throat. And you know what God did? God protected David through all of those times. And God always brings His Word to pass. And we all know about David's great failure. There's two things that come to mind when you hear about David. David and Goliath. And David and Bathsheba. Wonder why David failed with Bathsheba. It's very simple. Where was David supposed to be? With the armies. What was David doing? God had given him such good armies that he could stay at home and know that the battle was still going to be won. You see, David wasn't being faithful in the little things. All he had to do was show up. There was no planning of the battle. Joab had all that in mind. There, there was no one that was going to, living at that time, that was going to stand against David's mighty men. These guys were invincible, as, as we might say. But David wasn't where he was supposed to be, even though all that he would have had to do was show up. And it led to the greatest sin and downfall in his life. Wants to look at one more very quickly. Turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Sometimes God calls us to be quiet, to wait. I want to challenge you faith in the quiet time is just as important as faith in the crisis time. Luke chapter 2, if you're familiar with the Bible, understand is the story of the birth of Jesus in Luke's account. And when Jesus was eight days old, they took him to the temple in Jerusalem, which was not far from Bethlehem. And it tells us here in verse 24 that they offered two young pigeons, a pair of turtle doves. That was the least offering. That was the poorest offering that... That was acceptable. That tells us that uh, Mary and Joseph were not people of great means. In verse 25, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. 
The same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. I love preaching on Simeon. Some of you may remember years ago we had Pat Cassidy here on Christmas. And, and Pat was quite an artist. And, and I took the Christ, Christmas was on Sunday that year. And so we just had one service and and uh, I had Pat put a, a big easel here and we found some nice paper and bought him a set of chalk and, and he drew a picture of Simeon while I preached on the sermon. And, uh, oh, uh, that, that was just a special time. If you were here, you remember it. And, uh, and uh, what he did was that I'd ask him to draw the picture of Simeon looking down at the baby Jesus with a kind of a glow in Simeon's face. And Pat was such a credible artist that he just created uh, what was in my mind. He, he put on the paper. And I mean, it just touched everybody's heart that was here. And seeing that, uh, the picture of that old man looking down, there was nothing magical or glowing about the appearance of Jesus. But see, Simeon had been waiting his whole life to look into that one baby's face. You see, he died before Jesus grew up and died on the cross. He didn't understand all of the things that were coming. But this is what he said. Verse 28, Then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy words. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And we'll skip on down to verse 36, and there was one, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and lived with an husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple of God, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she coming in at that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all that looked for for redemption in Jerusalem. So we have two people here. She had been married seven years. She had lived 84 from the death of her husband. So she was 91 years past her wedding date. And even in this day and time, if she got married young, 15, 16 years old, add that up, uh, uh, that qualifies for old in anybody's book. Amen? But she had spent 84 years in the temple waiting for the coming of the Messiah. 84 years. I'll tell you what, I think that takes a whole lot more faith than getting up and going to work in New York City. How about you? 
You see, we face things. Now I want us to turn to our text today. It's two passages out of the book of Hebrews. We read the first part of it, but I want us to go back to Hebrews chapter 11, the last two verses. Hebrews chapter 11. And I pray that in the next few moments we can close this thing out. And these all, talking about every person that was listed in Hebrews chapter 11, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. God made the Old Testament saints wait. They did not receive the promise. They did not understand what Jesus would do. That it is finished would be on the cross. Now I want you to turn with me back to Hebrews chapter 10. The introduction and the conclusion to Hebrews chapter 11 is is our text for today. For ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God... Let me ask you a question. Have you done the will of God in trusting Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior? If you have, you have need of patience. Because you've done that. If you've trusted the Lord, have you been baptized? That's the next step after salvation is baptism. Amen? Baptism is entrance into the physical body of Christ, the local church. That's the place where you serve the Lord and walk with Him each day. And let me tell you something. You might find some things in our church rather boring. We have service every Sunday morning, every Sunday night. By God's grace, every Thursday night. We have visitation Wednesday afternoons and Saturday mornings. Uh, we have other times of invita- uh, visitation. We have monthly ladies' meetings. We have men's prayer meeting at Sunday morning at 10 till 10. Uh, we have other things going on that we invite you to be a part of. You say, but I'm really not doing anything. Well, are you being faithful with what you have? You see, that's what this is talking about. How about your daily Bible reading schedule? Pastor, why do you got to keep bringing that up? Because it's hard to keep it up every day. Hello? It's too hard. I can't do it. Oh, wait a minute. Let's, let's go back. But you got to read all those boring passages. Well, God put them in there for a reason. You say, what's the reason? I don't know. He put them in there. No, there are some reasons. You know those lists of names that are in your Bible that everybody hates reading? The archaeologists, the anthropologists, they go to those passages and they find proof that the Bible was written when it said it was written, that it was talking about... They can find the people. You know, we uh, we can take the Egyptian records and read them and we don't know which king it was talking about. The Egyptian records of Egyptian history is one of the most confused and convoluted histories because the new Pharaoh had this uh, 
habit of going back and erasing the old Pharaoh's name off of everything. I mean, they erased it out of the public records and rewrote the public records. They erased, they even found buildings where the name of Pharaoh had been chiseled out and another name chiseled over top of it. How in the world can you understand the history when people are so dishonest that they won't even allow the name of the actual person that did it to remain in historical records? But our Bible's intact. And all those names are in there for a reason. So read them. Enjoy them. And if you really want to have fun, try to pronounce them out loud to yourself. And you will just have a lot of fun making weird sounds that you never knew existed before. Are you right? No. Get one of those Bibles that has the pronunciation guides and you can go through and actually do a pretty good job if you want. But spend some time with God's Word. You see, those are God's will. You see, after you've done God's will, you got to wait. Why? Because Jesus is coming. He gave that promise to the disciples nearly 2,000 years ago. All my life, I heard preachers preach when I was a little kid. Almost 2,000 years ago. That was 1970. It wasn't almost 2,000 years ago. That was a long time ago. Ask my kids. 1970 wasn't that long ago, was it, some people? We remember it very well. Some of you say, I'm not old enough to remember back that far. Well, that's okay. You'll grow up someday, amen? But listen... It says the Lord is coming. And we have need of patience because we need to wait. Because the just shall live by faith. But there are those that don't make it. The Bible talks about those that return, draw back unto perdition. You know, there are people that try Jesus. We've had an awful lot of them come through our church over the years. There's nothing that breaks the heart of a preacher than watching people get started and then say, well, I can't take any more of this Bible stuff. You're just too strict for me. I didn't make the rules, my friend. God did. And by the way, He hasn't changed them. Aren't you glad that God doesn't make concessions for your failures? That he changes us to meet his standard of righteousness. We get so frustrated. All the tests and things that we do to try to prove how smart we are. We dumb down the test. We keep lowering the standards. You have to get a bachelor's degree today to get what you got in high school 50 years ago. And by the way, today's master probably wasn't worth a high school diploma uh, uh, 80 years ago. I mean, my father didn't know how to do uh, a lot of things advanced mathematically and stuff like that. But he knew how to live. He had a boys group, 8 to 12 years old, that's bigger than our church. He met every Wednesday night. Just boys, 8 to 12 years old. Nearly 100 of them every Wednesday night. 
Dad never took one Bible class. Never took one class on administration or how. He was just a man that loved God and served God in the position that God put him in. Tell you what. He's just being faithful. Sometimes God doesn't ask you to do great things to be faithful. He just asks you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Today. Tomorrow. You see, if you learn to trust Him now when the crisis comes, the testing comes, you'll be ready. It'll just be another step in your service for Christ. But if you try to spend your whole life getting ready for the test, God's going to change the test and you won't be ready for it. Because faith is not according to you, it's according to the Word of God. And so I want to challenge you today. Like Abraham. Like David when he was hiding. Like Anna. 84 years, night and day, in the temple with fastings and prayers, waiting for the coming of the Christ. Simeon, who was told by God, said, well, why doesn't God tell me things today? He has. It's all written down. When's the last time you spent enough time in this book to find out what it was? He's got everything that you need to know right here. But that, that's, that, no, yeah, uh, uh, no, no, no. That's being faithful in the quiet time, my friend. We don't need excuses. We just need to live for Him. Today. And tomorrow. And until Jesus comes back. You may have faith that can remove mountains. Don't tell me about your faith that can remove mountains until you have a faith that can get you through tomorrow. Can we say amen to that? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you today. Lord, <clears throat> our invitation is not an exciting one today, but it certainly is a biblical one. Therefore, it ought to be exciting to us. Lord, we ask that you would build within us that quiet faith. The faith when no one's looking, no one's paying attention. The faith when it seems like nothing is happening, that we're just standing still. Lord, we ask you to build that faith in our lives and in our church. That we would have patience after we've done the will of God, after we've done that which we know is right, to simply wait. That we would not be of those that gets impatient waiting on God and quits. But that when you come, you would find us faithful.
We don't always do this this morning, but I ask you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. How many would just lift a hand and say, Preacher, I, I admit I need God to work that quiet faith in my life. And I just want to slip up a hand and say, Pray for me. Would you just slip up a hand right now where you sit? I see them all over the auditorium. Just slip it up for a moment. Hold it there. Just unto the Lord. Amen. Would there be one here today that would say, Preacher, I want that quiet faith, but I'm not sure that I'm even saved. Would you, would you pray for me? I'm not sure about my eternity. I'm not sure that, that if I were to die today, I don't know that I'd go to heaven. Would you pray for me? Would there be even one that would slip up a hand and say, Pray for me, Preacher. I'm not sure about my eternity. Yes, I see that hand. You may put it down. Yes, I see that hand as well. Anyone else? I'm not sure about my eternity. I'm not sure about my salvation. Would you pray for me? Dear Heavenly Father, you saw the hands who were raised. And Lord, we want to pray first for those that raised their hands and they're not sure about their salvation. They're not sure about their eternity. There's some doubts in their heart. And Lord, we're thankful that your word was written to remove all doubts, to give us faith to give us the knowledge of our salvation. And Lord, we pray that even today would be that day that we'd be able to settle those issues in those hearts that were represented by those hands raised. Lord, you saw the many other hands that went up saying, Lord, I need that quiet faith. I need that daily faith, that faith that, that is real when nothing seems to be happening. And Lord, we understand that real faith works even when no one's watching, even when there's not great things required. Real faith is still real. And Lord, we ask that you would build that faith in the heart and life of each one here present. That we'd be able to stand one day on the other side and bring glory and praise and honor to the name of our Savior and our God. Lord, that's our purpose for being here today. Lord, let us be serious about our faith. Even that simple faith, boring faith, That we would realize and understand that great faith is still great even when it seems like nothing is happening. We ask you to work in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand.